This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, just when you thought it was safe, go back to the NFL Network. We have the NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. History, there it is, at almost any time of the day. You know what? It's going to last through the weekend and try. I said try to push the Academy Awards out of living room Sunday nights, but who's, who's kidding who? I mean, would you guys rather watch a bunch of guys running 40s in shorts or Winston Churchill's call to fight on the beaches and never surrender in the darkest hour? Well, Clark, I didn't watch any NFL Combine on television when it wasn't competing with the Oscars, so why would I start watching this weekend? That's a good question. Uh, well, let me ask you this. How many of these Academy Award-nominated movies did you guys see? Goose, did you see any of them? Yep, I saw four of them. Dunkirk, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards. And I like Three Billboards the best. Wow. Wow. Great minds think alike. I saw three of them, and I agree on on the Three Billboards. What a great movie that was. That that, that Frances McDermott. Well, I didn't see all that many, mostly because we have a 13-year-old, but I will guarantee you this. We'll catch up this week, mostly... Because we'd rather go to the movies than the finish line of Lucas Oil Stadium. Ne- nevertheless, today, yesterday, we will take a spin around the combine and the NFL with former Colts tight end Dallas Clark, who is Hall of Fame eligible in 2019. Todd Tobias of com. He's putting together a drive to get Johnny Robinson into Canton. And Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News as our Best of the Rest series continues. Goose, uh, just a guess, but the big news in Dallas, I don't think it's the Combine. I don't think it's Des Bryant's pucker up demand, but the fine. Okay, the repayment, I don't know, wherever you want to term it. Commissioner Roger Goodell is demanding of your owner, that would be Hall of Famer Jerry Jones. Uh, yes, Jerry's fight over his, the Ezekiel Elliott suspension and the Roger Goodell contract cost league millions in legal fees. Goodell wants to recoup the money. And he wants it to come out of Jerry's pocket. And my guess, the meter will continue to run on the legal fees for both sides. Well, I know Ron's going to revisit that a little bit later in this broadcast. But you know what? I saw a pretty interesting tweet on that with someone saying to Goodell, You want to cut my pay? No, I'm going to cut your pay. (laughs) On the Talk of Fame Network, though, we're not cutting anyone's pay. We're just cutting the commercial. This is the Talk of Fame Network. is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, it's not just combine week. It's spring training in Arizona and Florida. And this just in, guys, Russell Wilson. Yeah, that quarterback you love to hate. He's in Tampa with the New York Yankees. In fact, he hit five home runs in his first day of batting practice this week. And Goose, he pushed Giancarlo Stanton off the front page of the post. Yeah, Russell Wilson. Just a hunch, Goose Man. I don't think the Seattle Seahawks can be all that, I don't know, overwhelmed with the news that their star quarterback is working out with the Yankees and hitting home runs. What do you think? Nothing new here. Wilson has staged cameos at spring training with the Texas Rangers for years. They drafted him. The Rangers traded uh. his rights to the Yankees in February, so the circus moves from Arizona to Florida this spring. <laughs> so he worked out with them every spring? Yep. Wow. 
He's a good player. Um, but you know what it does? It sort of reminds me of when I was covering the Colts in 80, 1983. Ron, I think you just left town. Um, but you remember John Elway was the number one pick that year. The Colts were going to take me. He said he didn't want to play there. And, and so he's, he threatened to take up a baseball career with the Yankees, no less, um, rather than going to the Colts. Um, and everyone said, yeah, and no way. It's not going to happen. Well, you know, it wasn't going to happen. It never did happen. Of course, he didn't go to the Colts either, not eventually. But, Ron, this sounds more like it's uh, maybe – fantasy baseball camp for Russell Wilson, as a matter of fact, since Goose says he does it every year, but more like a fantasy baseball camp than it is anything else. Well, yeah, it gets, it gets free traveled. It gets to go to hot places when it's cold in Seattle. Good deal. But let me tell you this. Uh, you better hope there's a stipulation in this contract that covers him in case he is trying to turn the gets double hurt. play at second yeah. base and somebody yeah. sends him buttocks overhead. That yeah. would be bad. It'll, well, you know the best thing about all of this, Ron? He gets to hang out with a guy named Judge. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised there's not two judges down there. <laughs> hey, hey, Ron, no sign of Tom Brady working out with the Red Sox, right? We haven't seen uh, that yet. No, although he's a pretty good catcher back in his uh, high school days. But yeah, I, uh, I think the only ball he's chasing right now is a golf ball. Okay, well, as I said, it's combine week, which means you'll get more useless information than any time of your life, including 40-yard dash times that are supposed to mean something. Whew, I still don't get that. Ben Johnson runs a 4-2-9-40. Fastest, fastest starter in the uh, Olympic history, at least at that time. Deion Sanders, 419? What? Deion Sanders, faster than... I don't get Anyway, um, but you know what does mean something? Is that the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are on the clock, and they have two of the first five draft picks, which means John Dorsey, the GM, is on the clock. And, and the good news is that it's the 17th time that's happened in NFL history, 17th, and five Hall of Famers emerged in those 17 drafts. Paul Hornan, Merlin Olsen, Gail Sayers, Dick Butkus, Marshall Falk, the five guys. You could start a pretty good team with those guys. Of course... The bad news is that I covered a team with two of the top five picks in a draft. And, Ron, you would remember this. That was the 1982 Baltimore Colts. Oh, yeah. And they emerged with Johnny Cooks at number two and Arch Schleister at number four. Ouch. Okay, guys. Who was the only team that had three of the top five picks in an NFL draft? Anyone? Wow. Three of the top mm. five? Three of the top five. Yes, sir. Uh, Harlem Globetrotters? Nope. Yeah. That would be your 1966 national champion, Michigan State Spartans, who sent Bubba Smith, Clint Johnson, and Gene Washington to the NFL with the first five picks of the first common draft in 1967. Smith and Webster, by the way, became pro bowlers. When are you going to start talking about Bubba Pisa? (laughs) On that team? On that team? (laughs) Yes, he was on that team. Uh, uh, Well, you know, when you think of Johnny Cooks, though, uh, Clark and Arch Lisa, they were Hall of Famers of a sort. They were a Hall of Fame bust considering what they were taking. One of them was a Hall of Fame shyster in Sleister. You get that, Clark? Shyster, Sleister. In poetry, that would be called onomatopoeia. Yeah, there you go. Oh, whoa. Wow, onomatopoeia in proximity. <laughs> Rearrange my brain in a stage cacophonia. Um, <laughs> hey, um, that's Todd Rundgren. That's I'm just called, quoting Todd. You know, the thing is, I covered that team, and I remember Schleister had his locker right next to a telephone. We all said, God, he's just <laughs> getting calls. They thought, we all thought he was getting calls from all these girls who were coming. He, he's just a magnet, a female magnet, a babe magnet. He was placing bets. <laughs> hey, Goose, um... Let's get back to the combine here. I mean, you once were a regular combine for, I, I, I'm going to guess, 25 years, something like that. Um, what do you miss about it, and what don't you miss? I miss the meals I used to arrange with the NFL general managers and coaches, and the insight those sessions provided, both football insight and draft insight. You know, I always believed the combine was the best week in the NFL calendar because it was the only week 
where the general managers, personal directors, head coaches, assistant coaches, and scouts for all 32 teams could be found under one roof. It was one-stop shopping for reporters. Then you throw in the top 334 draft press box in a given year. You're always left with a full notebook. The worst thing about the combine became the crowds. You know, when yeah, I started right. going to India in 1992, there were a handful of reporters and tenants, just seven or eight of us. Now there are thousands and far less one-on-one time with players and coaches. Hey, Goose, remember when we hung out in the lobby of the Crown Plaza and, and they turned off the heat one winter? I mean, it's in February every year. And turned off the heat, and we still didn't move. And so they go, okay, they removed all the furniture, too. <laughs> they took all the furniture, no problem. We still didn't leave. We stood for like 12 hours there when it was about, I don't know, 35 degrees in that lobby. We didn't leave because it was just as cold outside as it was yeah. inside. You know, at least inside, we had the windows to block the wind. <laughs> then they propped the doors open to let the wind in. It didn't matter. <laughs> we weren't leaving. I'll tell you what I'm going to miss, Ron, or what I do miss, those Monday morning 7 a.m. breakfast calls at Shapiro's with yeah. Dave McGinnis. Yeah, Dave McGinnis, not only driving the car, but picking up the tab. But only, of course, when the cook was in. When the cook was in. <laughs> You know, when you think of that joint, Lewis and Rebecca Shapiro and their eight kids opened that place in 1905, and they used to live upstairs. And when the old man would wake up at 3 a.m. to go start baking, he would say, the day's <laughs> half over. True story. Now you can you can go to not only the one on 808 Meridian Street, you can find one in Blue Ash, Ohio, if you happen to be yeah. there. Yeah, I think there's just Shapiro's in the, uh, in the airport, too. Hey, uh, quickly, Goose. Goose, um, I said the Browns have two of the first five picks, and they do. I imagine they choose a quarterback with one of those two. Uh, but that's the one position they can't figure out. And they just haven't been bad in that draft and, and, and quarterbacks. They've stunk. So who's the quarterback they take this time, if, in fact, they, they take the quarterback? Well, Sam Darnold of Southern Cal goes to the combine as a top quarterback prospect. And in my guess, he'll, he'll come out of the combine as a top prospect. But the quarterback who intrigues me the most is Josh Allen of Wyoming. He could be the next Ben Roethlisberger, a smaller school player with all the measurables and an immense upside. He'll be the quarterback to keep your eye on. All rise. Here comes the judge. Ah, uh, that's a signal. Sorry, Ron. I got to cut you off because it's my turn here. Either Aaron Judge is either back in the lineup or it is my turn to take a swing at state your case. You know what, Ron? It's my turn at bat. Uh huh. And this time I've got former Atlanta Falcons tackle Mike Ken I'm going to talk about. I wrote about him this week on our website com and made the case that he should be a Hall of Fame finalist immediately, meaning 2019. And I know he's never been a finalist before, ever, but here is why it's important. Because 2019 is his last year of eligibility. Last. You heard me, the 20th and last. After that, it's into the senior swamp, and, and Mike Ken deserves better. I mean, he was a five-time All-Pro and five-time Pro Bowl, which means he was more decorated than Joe Jacoby, who was a three-time finalist. He just bowed out of the modern era candidate, uh, category, and he's now a senior categor- uh, ca- candidate. Um, but Mike Kent had a streak once of 26 consecutive games without a penalty. He's in the Falcons' ring of honor, had his number 78 retired by the team, and he missed only nine games in his 17 years. And he started all 251 games that he played in. So there was considerable ability and, Ron, you're going to love this. Considerable availability. Yes. In fact, when uh, Pro Scout Inc., which is a professional scouting firm that grades players every year, when they rank great tackles, they had Ken and Anthony Munoz with nine grades of blue, which is blue, which is all pro caliber. And Jackie Slater was six and a half. Now, Munoz and Slater are in Canton. And Munoz is considered one of the greatest left tackles ever. But Mike Ken, never been a finalist, ever. 
And that's got to change. Look, I, I'm under no illusion it's going to happen because there are four offensive linemen, including two tackles in line ahead of him. And all four were top ten finalists this year. But doesn't Mike Ken deserve better? The question, former defensive end Clyde Simmons once said, is what's the standard for the Hall of Fame? In my opinion, whatever standard there is for the Hall of Fame, Mike Ken has met. You know something, guys? I'd agree. So, okay. Clark, does the same fate await Ken as it did Walls and Jacoby? No, no, it, it doesn't because I don't see how he makes it to the finals, Goose, in his 20th and last year. I mean, they did. Walls did. Um, and Jacoby, I mean, was a three-time finalist. But Mike Ken was last to semifinals in 2017, and, and that ended a three-year run as one of the top 25. That ended this year, which means his candidacy has lost momentum. He's going the other, wrong, other direction, going the wrong direction. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it. When we return, it's the best and worst of the NFL Scouting Combine. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. You can't make this stuff up. Did you guys see that item on Geno Smith last week? Geno Smith? Ron, Rick? Yeah, Geno Smith. Smith. Yeah. It was, it was, Why would I look at anything I, about him? <laughs> well, I, I guess it was something that started with uh, NBA star Kyrie Irving of the Boston Celtics. So maybe, Ron, you saw it. But uh, of sure. the Boston Celtics and apparently not of astronomy or astrology for dummies. Um, anyway, I guess Irving tweeted out something about the Earth being flat. Like I said, we don't make this stuff up. And Geno Smith then gets involved saying, basically, yeah, it's worth a discussion. <laughs> Tweeting out that, quote, I may be with Kyrie on this, unquote. You what? You what? Goose, didn't this guy have to take a wonder look at the combine? My question to Gino would be, if the earth is flat, where in his mind are the ends of the earth? Buffalo, <laughs> Jacksonville, <laughs> Cincinnati, the Pacific Coast, the Hudson River, where? You know, all, all this time I thought Gino Smith's problems were accuracy. Now I know, Ron, there may be a light on in the kitchen, but nobody's home. <laughs> well, here's what we know, Clark. If there's a light on, it's a dim one. <laughs> God, Unbelievable. Later, later on, I think he said that well, he was just fooling, and he knows the world is a globe. No, dude, it's a planet, and it's That's round. Right. That's right. <laughs> the globe's a theater. It's a planet. Yeah, exactly. Please, come on. God, well, anyway, good luck with that in your next job, Gino. <laughs> Jeez, so you, you believe in what? Uh, next. Um, anyway, another item that caught my eye was that running back Jordan Howard of the Chicago Bears guaranteed. Yes, Goose, guaranteed the Chicago Bears are going to the playoffs next year. Now, first of all, just my opinion, but uh, I think guaranteed should have ended with Joe Namath, 1969, and said second. What in the world did Jordan Howard see in this team, Goose, that everyone else missed to make him think they're actually going to do what they haven't done in seven years? I'm guessing he thinks Mitch Trubisky can do for the Bears what Carson Wentz did for the Eagles in his second year. Except that Wentz didn't play in a division with Aaron Rodgers, Matthew yeah. Stafford, or the Minnesota defense. So good luck, Jordan. Yeah, you know, Ron, I, I saw where he I said that, I guess, this week that, you know, I think we need to get Mitch Trubisky some, some better receivers, more weapons. You think? I mean, come on. <laughs> really? Really? Maybe just this, uh, it's a veiled way to say, John Fox won't miss you. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. With these who guys, knows? who knows? Maybe his world is flat. Yeah, anyway, well, I guess that's the beauty of the offseason. Everything passes for news when so little that really is goose. <laughs> yeah, and that's why there's a combine in February. 
free yep. agency in March, the draft in April, off-season programs in May. The NFL wants a 12-month presence, and the media does everything in its power to give it to them. Well, thank you for mentioning that, Goose, because it makes it an easy segue to go to the, yes, NFL Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, which is going on, as Goose mentioned, this week. And, Goose, you and I go back to the 1990s when there were about, I don't know, six, ten writers and a shoeshine guy waiting on players in the lobby of the Crown Plaza. Now we have what? I mean, I think it's close to a 1,000 accredited media people crammed into Lucas Oil Stadium, and they're all being fed the same stuff by the same people at the same time. Uh, no thank you. Yeah, I can recall, as can you, when you could get a one-on-one with players at the Combine. No longer. That took a lot of the fun out of visiting Indianapolis in the dead of a winter for me. Yeah. You know, I'd always research all 334 players at the Combine and have tidbits and story angles for every one of them. But you can no longer explore those angles on your own. You essentially become a pool reporter with all your good angles. No thank you. I have never and will never be a packed journalism guy, which is what the Combine has become. Yeah, you're right, because you stop a guy. And all of a sudden, you look around, and there are like 15 people around you because you've stopped somebody, and you can't have a private conversation. It's over. Like, like flies, so. and you know what. Well, Ron, basic question. Um, yes. Why is the combine necessary? I mean, um, you know, I, I, I see Sam Darnold's not throwing this week, um, and I know quarterbacks in the past haven't thrown. I mean, so what? But um, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, has it outlived its usefulness? It, it just seems like it's more of a media event now than really a fact-finding mission. You want to see Sam Darnold throw? You go to the USA, USC Pro Day. Um, you, you watch these guys work out at their colleges or universities. You don't need to go here other than when they take a physical. I mean, is it is it a big deal anymore? Well, uh, uh, no. I mean, it, like you say, it's much more of a media event and fan fest and all that silliness. Uh, I think from the team standpoint, most of the personnel guys I've ever talked to about uh, really have come to the conclusion that the, the – real value is getting your doctors in one place where they can look at 300 guys uh, all at the same time, you know, without flying all over the country. And, mm-hmm. and, and the value of the interview sessions, although even those, I think, have, have become uh, of less importance to a lot of teams because you know, a lot of these guys are so programmed and, and uh, you know, trained by their agent to say this, right. say that. You know, Charlie Army, the old Rams general manager, used to tell me, the Combine that's way. That's where you go to convince yourself that what you've seen on film and on the field is not true. <laughs> so you go there to He's make right. mistakes. That's why you He's go. Right. right. He's right. Well, I mean, speaking of mistakes, I know one notable one, and I, I know realize people make mistakes all the time, all right? But um, you think back to 18 years ago, that's where Tom Brady was timed. I think he was timed with an hourglass. He was so slow. And, and, and scouts and GMs buried him in the draft until your team, Ron, Rescued him with the 199th pick in the sixth round. I mean, and, and that's at the combine where they're supposed to know everything and, and do everything and see everything. You come away from there with a good feeling. They didn't know squat about Tom Brady. Well, I think that that's where it speaks right to my earlier point, which is, you know, if you were uh, judging him on his athleticism and on his uh, 40 times, I mean, you've right. seen him run the 40. I mean, I kid him all the time when I see him. Why don't you take the, the elephant off your back when you ran that 40? Would have been a lot faster. I've seen him run the 40 away from you when you're trying to get an interview. He's <laughs> yeah, running exactly. away from you. you know, uh, he's the only guy I can catch. And, you know, the same with uh, the, you know, uh, all those things they ask him to do. You know, the shuttle drill and the vertical leap and the javelin throw and the, you know, uh, mumbledy pegs or whatever else they're doing. None of right. those things convert to being a football player. I mean, they, yep. they apply in some areas, but they don't mean you're a football player. And he's right. a football player, but he's not a workout warrior. 
Yeah, I, I I remember when the the, the 49ers worked him out in a private workout and they didn't do anything. And asked Mariucci later, you know, what happened? Oh, we had a 45 minute workout and he was dead flat ordinary and all the physical things. He said, but if we'd been able to measure the intangibles, well, of course they did, and neither did anyone else really. Maybe New England did, but they didn't been either. Able to I do mean, that. Yeah, they, I mean, they got lucky. Was, they they got lucky. Yeah. yeah, they got lucky. I mean, they got him in the sixth round. Anyway, um, all of us used to go to the combine. None of us go there now. Goose, if you were going today, if you were there this week. What would you be looking for? I'd still try to find the best storylines. I'm not attending the combine as a scout. I don't care about the 40 times the vertical jumps. I'm a writer looking for the best stories. And so often, those stories do not come from the Heisman Trophy winners and the All-Americans. They come from the small school players just happy to be there. Players like Tony right. Romo and Jeremiah Trotter and Caleb Campbell. If you look hard enough, you'll find great stories at every combine. How about you, yeah. Ron? Yeah, well, it goes is right. I mean, to me, you look for two things there. Uh, especially as you get older. You look for uh, great sort of buried stories, and you look for a good book, unless you want to be out all night, you know, <laughs> drinking with some of these agents, which I don't want to. I didn't even want to do yeah, it when I was right. doing it. I damn sure don't want right. to do it now. Or you look for Shapiro's and get breakfast there. Yeah, love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what the thing I appreciate most about the Combine um, before, that is the NFL, open the doors to everyone, is that you, as you mentioned, Goose, you could get one-on-one interviews. You could find coaches and GMs and, and have them to yourself. And you could get interviews, as you mentioned, Ron, that were legitimate, and they weren't scripted. I mean, those days are over. NFL Network is here. Well, yes, it is. This is the age of too much processed food and too many processed people. Uh, You know, you interview somebody uh, these days, a lot of these guys, and you walk away and you look at your notebook and you say, I know there's something in there somewhere. I just can't find it. Yeah, the agents prepare their players now for the press and team interviews as much as they do the drills. You know, the answers are scripted and vanilla. And that's why you need to look at the players with the lower profiles, the players who figure to be mid to late round picks, the players the NFL Network doesn't care about. There are still plenty of good stories to be found and told. It's just a little harder these days to find them because the limited access the media has those players. Ron, it's funny. I thought you were talking about by it's cat scan review or cat scan results. I know there's something in there. We just can't find it. Um, hey, Goose, who or what was your best interview? Okay, maybe DeMarcus Ware. He grew up in Auburn, Alabama, sold sodas as a kid at Auburn games, always wanted to play his college ball for the Auburn Tigers. But Auburn didn't have any interest in him, so he packed up, left home to play at Troy State, where he became one of the best pass rushers the game of football has ever seen. We talked to him at this combine. Before he before he scaled those heights, and his answers were straight from the heart. You walked away thinking you really want to see that kid succeed. Ron, I thought he was going to say before he became a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> Glad he didn't. <laughs> exactly. Who or what was your best interview, Ron? Oh, my best interview was was uh, with uh, Dr. Tom Gill, who was the Patriots team's physician at the time, and told me you ruptured your patella tendon last night, brother. <laughs> If you guys remember, because you were both there, yeah, right, I was right. jogging on the treadmill in Embassy Suites, went to bed feeling great, woke up feeling like I got hit with a shotgun blast. He, he brought me in a room, and there were these three massive linemen standing there, you know, these young kids. And you could see the look on their face. Every one of them was thinking, who in the hell is this guy, and how old is he? Oh, yeah. No, I, I remember that. The only guy slower than you at the combine was Tom Brady. <laughs> exactly. That was your best well, m- interview? It was. Because <laughs> he fixed it. He, knew, he found out what was wrong and fixed it. That was great. Yikes. Well, mine was a guy you guys would remember. Gio Carmazzi. He was a quarterback oh, yeah. out of Hofstra. 
he entered the 2000 draft and he came out. It was a terrific interview, and, and I knew the team that I was covering. That would be the Fortinaires were looking at him. So I thought, this guy'd be a heck of a lot fun to cover. Um, they should draft him. And I wrote that. You should draft him. And they did. They drafted him in the third round, 2000 draft. And let a local kid from San Mateo slip until the sixth. That'd uh, be Tom Brady. Brady's still in the league. I think Gio's a yoga-practicing goat herder two hours north of San Francisco. True story. And that, people, was the beginning and end of my career as 49ers GM. <laughs> Didn't work out well. Hey, Goose, quickly. <laughs> your worst interview, Goose. Uh there are too many to even recall. You know, you're hoping for home runs. You'll settle for a double. You'll take a single. But I've got my share of whiffs. <laughs> Ron, quickly. Wow. It was not Bill Belichick because he doesn't talk to anybody. There you go. There you go. Well, I hope our next guest doesn't qualify, and I know he won't because it's former Indianapolis tight end Dallas Clark. He's always a good talker and a candidate for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2019. He's coming up next right here on the Talk of Fame Network. Well, we told you Dallas Clark would be here, and he is. Dallas, of course, was a Pro Bowl tight end and Super Bowl champion with the Indianapolis Colts, teaming with Peyton Manning, Edwin James, Marvin Harrison, and Reggie Wayne to form one of the NFL's most explosive offenses of the 2000s decade. Our former first-round draft pick, Dallas Clark, caught 505 passes in his 11 seasons before retiring in 2014. And now, well, now he enters... First year of eligibility as a candidate for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2019. Dallas, thanks for joining us. I, it, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Dallas, you're the other tight end on the belt for the class of 2019, joining Tony Gonzalez. Have you given any thought to the Hall of Fame? Um, I tell you what, it's uh, yes and no. I mean, it, the only thing I think about is when I'm going to go uh, to see Peyton and when I'm going to go see, uh, you know, Reg. And it's been it's been a, a, a dream. Uh, you know, it's just been a, a great honor to go and see Coach Dungy and and uh, and Marv um, go in, and and it's just. It's an unbelievable environment, and I really cherish and enjoy that. And it's just one of that. It's kind of a big camaraderie um, gathering and seeing guys that you haven't seen, seeing guys from other teams that you you, know, you may have never had a chance to talk to. And and that that's kind of that's the only until I see a fan that's like, oh, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame, or you know, and, and I just kind of play it off because I'm. I'm it's funny that they actually think that because I don't even know if I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, you know, maybe it's wrong or right. I don't know. But I, I just don't, I just don't think of myself. I'm like, oh, yeah, it, it's going to happen. Or, oh, you know, it, it shouldn't happen. I don't know. It just kind of, I feel like that's like a, it's something you just don't talk about. It's just, it's something that's just so majestic. I don't know if that sounds a little corny, but it's just it, it's just like going there and seeing the bust and seeing seeing the the yellow jackets and the gold jackets and and it just like being in that it's just like wow, these guys and seeing that all those guys that just paved the way um you know, I don't know if I, I if, if I did anything in my career that paved the way for the next generation of tight ends, you know, and that's kind of I think that's what ultimately 
why those guys are up there and so deserving because they did something with their time that paved the way to make the game so great and so unbelievably uh, um, awesome to, to be a part of. Well, the uh, uh, the Hall of Fame Selection Committee, uh, Dallas, has never really seemed to warm to tight ends. There's only eight enshrined in Canton. And uh, in college, uh, you won the Mackey Award, of course. You may consider John Mackey the greatest tight end in NFL history. Yeah, and it took him 15 years to get a bust in Canton. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> so you're never... t- so yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's scary when when you when you hear that. I mean, <laughs> and then then you just go in. You know, I don't want to use the word politics, but then there, you know, but there's got to be something going on. Like, what took that guy so long? I mean, I, I, I've seen a couple plays. I've I've heard stories. Um, obviously, winning the Mackey, like, got it was amazing to meet him. It was sad to see the state that he was in and, 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 and the price that he paid. But what an honor to be around a guy that, that I mean, that literally gave it all to, to make, you know, not only the game, but that position. Like, like he revolutionized the game. And he, ga- he, gave, he gave offenses and, and coordinators, like, a, a different philosophy of, like, literally, these aren't just blocking people. Like, we can actually use these guys – and put defenses in in t- tough situations and put us in advantage and and I think that's what offenses have changed. I think that's why every Super Bowl winner you've seen or, or Super Bowl teams that you've seen in the or even in the playoffs those teams and obviously I'm a little biased but they have a great tight end and they mm-hmm. have a camaraderie with their quarterback and that's what I feel. Like I was so blessed to have Peyton um, because he was a he, he kind of knows how to play the game, and he was able to to utilize and get everyone involved in the offense and, and use it to our advantage. Dallas, it took the the Hall of Fame committee twelve years to get Ditka in. I mean, well, there's never been a first ballot Hall of Famer tight end, not until maybe Tony Gonzalez, but so, there hasn't been so, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, yeah. So I guess my question to you is, what's the committee missing at this position? It just seems like they don't, or we don't get it. Well. I, you know, I, I think there just needs to be more. Um, I, I think they need to be recognized more because I really think they're and those two guys are it. I mean, those, I mean, those guys. It's sad that they took so long because I mean, obviously, I'm. It's not my era, but you know, just looking back and just kind of being around the game and, and just seeing the the revolution of the, the 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 position. And I mean, those guys. They they weren't just glorified tackles. I mean, they were a threat. And and granted, like the and that's the whole thing. Like if you're looking at numbers, you know they're not going to have the numbers. Just like you know the next wave of tight ends past me, like they're going to blow my numbers out of the water, and and vice right. versa. Like all these all these other tight ends, because the game is changing. The the offenses are changing. They're becoming more explosive. Now you have every team trying to get a tight end like a Tony Gonzalez, like a, a Gronkowski, like a Antonio Gates, like Alt Witten, like all these guys that I just admire and love and respect and the way they play and what they do for their offense. And like every team is trying to find those guys because they've seen the past team's successes, you know, successful offenses, they have that tight end. And it, I tell you what, they that needs to get recognized and it needs to go back to those threats. And, and I think it's I think it's twofold too. I think it's the tight ends that that are are, are 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 every play down, you know, every down tight end, and not just you know coming in and, and going out on running. You know, that's why I took pride in it, staying in. Like if it's third and short, I don't want to be pulled. Out. I want to be in there. And and you know, I think that's you know, I think those Ditka, 
uh, Mackie, I think those guys were the bruisers. Those guys were the the renegades that, that could do both. Now, so I'd say one record of years are not going to blow out of the water. There have been only three 100-catch seasons by tight ends in history, and you have one of them. It puts you in the exclusive fraternity with Tony Gonzalez and Jason Witten. You caught your 100 passes for 1,100 yards and 10 touchdowns in 2009. So what does it take to catch 100 passes in one season? It takes, I tell you what, that season was kind of a blur. And, I mean, it, it, it takes health. You know, you got to play all sixteen. You know, games. You got to be. You got to be. You got to be available. Uh, so I, I mean, that's that was blessing from God. Uh, just staying healthy, and you know, I think what's what's a common denominator with all these guys that and, and their careers is, is health. I mean, you look at Tony Gonzalez. I still, I like, I don't know how he. I mean, I think he missed three games maybe in his in his eighteen. Uh, eight, I don't know exactly how many years. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it was just incredible i mean just like how that guy did that and you know jason went the same way i mean just 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 tough tough men and 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 so i i think that's a big key is is to stay healthy stay on the field be an option and then it's just you know it's just kind of having that that mesh with the offense with with your quarterback um and you know you're having those mismatches creating those mismatches and and it, it was just a lot it was just we were we were just kind of we're just running on all cylinders that year and i mean we had a lot of we had a lot of lot of things going right for us and we just had a lot of momentum and and man we just rode it all the way through the year and and unfortunately you know came up short in the super bowl well of course you played on on an offense with marvin harrison who's in the hall of fame edgren james who's been a hall of fame finalist reggie wayne who caught a thousand career passes and he figures to be in the hall of fame debate here uh, when he becomes eligible in uh, 2020 peyton manning becomes eligible in 2021, and I imagine that's just a stand-up, say, Peyton Manning, sit down, and he's in. And then there's you. <laughs> so how did Tom Moore have enough footballs to go around to keep all you guys at least relatively happy? Oh, who said we were happy? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, that, I tell you what, that was, that was the, that was the unfortunate part about being that explosive and that, that you know there's always somebody that was mad you know there's always someone that was a little frustrated you know there was and the, the beauty you know it's kind of like one of those things like if like if you're if you're up front if you're clear and that's what tom moore i mean that that you guys you can't get any more just straight up with honest brutal honesty and that's what you just admire and love about the guy but i mean one he's like if you want if you want to catch the ball get open you know that was kind of first and foremost and so and then when you would be open on film, you know, then there would be, you know, then you'd have a taste. But you also knew that, you know, what defenses would do, and you know, defenses kind of, kind of picked who was going to get the ball. Like, I mean, Peyton wasn't, you know, if if, if they had a rollover safety on on Marv, well, guess what, Marv? I'm sorry, but you know, maybe next week you'll get your catches. You know, he's going to go back to the backside where where Reg and I are kind of, you know, we're kind of making hay back there, and so. So it's just kind of it's kind of give and take, and you just had to be patient um, and know that you know one of those you know it might not be your week, but the next week you'll get you know eight, ten balls or something, and 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 then you can be happy, and then you can watch Peyton or you can watch Marv pout or or Red <laughs> pout, and you know that's kind of the thing about the tight end. I think it kind of translates seriously in in the Hall of Fame. Like like I don't know if no one knows where we fit, you know, because you know 
running backs, you know, offense, offensive line, they don't like us because, you know, because we get to catch the ball and get touchdowns and do all that. So, it's, you know, offensive line don't like us. Receivers hate us because now we're taking away their catches and their touchdowns so that they don't like it. I mean, we're literally like, we're, we're on our own island. Like, we're, we have no friends. And so, I mean, we're friends with hunters. And kickers, and uh, you know, and and, and we, you know, linebackers. They hate us because they can't cover us. Um, so, like, it, it's a lonely position, and and that's why I think it, it resembles that in 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 Canton because we need more tight ends there, and, and maybe just a little closet. You know, just put us in. You know, we don't need to be with the, all the other great athletes. Uh, you know. But it, it is it's 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 interesting, and that's what you know. I, you know, Marv, I think would be the first one. I mean, he would. I don't think he was happy when I came to the team, you know, because it's like, I mean, because he would tell me, he was like, man, Dale, you know, last you know, last year I'd, I'd catch 12 balls, and you'd look at a stats, and, and, you know, we'd watch old film. It's like, holy cow, Mark. What, what's inc- I, he would just run, you know, he'd just run circles around and, and get the ball all the time. We're speaking with 2019 Hall of Fame candidate Dallas Clark on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at Talk of Fame Net in Dallas, we have about a minute left, but I asked you earlier about what the hall was missing at your position. I want to ask you about another position, former teammate of yours, Edron James. He's been a candidate four times. He hasn't been a finalist two of those times, and he seems to have no traction. What are we missing about Edge? Well, and that's see, that's what scares me because that's why I don't. You know, I'm obviously new to this world now that I'm officially, uh, you know, uh, a candidate, but. It's one of those things, I, you know, I don't know what he needs to do. And I don't know what guy, you know, if they need to, you know, start, you know, having like little like, like, like campaigning yourself. I mean, because, you know, obviously he's a teammate and love the guy. And, and, and obviously I would vote for him because there's not a better, better man, better teammate, uh, just in the locker room guy, but also on the field. I mean, that guy. I mean, he didn't say boo, and that guy. I mean, on the field, like he. he I mean, he didn't. But in the locker room, like you couldn't get him to shut up. But it, it, <laughs> I, you just loved and admired the way he came, approached the game. Was a great, great, uh, you know, kind of an influence for me to, as a young guy to see. Okay, this is how you do it, and uh, that guy. You know, I, I hope. You know, if 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 any voters are listening to me or listening to this, like I mean, he needs to, he needs to be in there because there's there's not a guy that didn't just take the game to another level and and I think just the consistency is what what I admire the most and and what really stands out I mean that guy you know it didn't matter what often you know what the team was doing like he brought his game and it was it was a pro it was a it was a hall of fame level game that he brought every Sunday Dallas Clark thanks for the time and good luck with your hall of fame candidacy enjoyed it really did thank you Hey, thanks, guys. Have a great week. Thanks, Dallas. Thanks, Dallas. That was former tight end Dallas Clark. Up next, it's Two Minute Drill. You listen to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're almost out of time, so let's see what the refs have for us. And here's hoping it has nothing to do with the catch rule. That's the Two Minute Drill. All right. It's the signal for the two-minute drill, and for the second straight week, Ron is running it. So let's get going. I'm firing the ball. Would Al Davis take a chance on Colin Kaepernick or Johnny Menzel if he was still alive? Al loves size and speed, so he'd have taken a chance on Kaepernick, but Menzel, too small to be a Raider. Neither one. Not enough speed. <laughs> should the Cowboys tag Demarcus Lawrence if they can't sign him to a long-term deal? They should tag him and will tag him. You don't let 14 and a half sacks walk out the door. 
Yes, they should. Then send him to Dubai. Then he could become Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> I read that book once. Long book. It's a long book. The Vikings great movie, have, though. Great movie. Better movie than book. The Vikings have more quarterbacks than footballs. So whose team is it anyway? If Mike Zimmer has his way, it'll be Dalvin Cook's team in 2018. Last time I checked, it was Ziggy Wills. <laughs> Will the NFL fix the catch rule this offseason or just die trying? No fix, no death, just another season of controversy. If they don't fix it, we'll all die crying. If you and Nick Foles, do you stay in Philly or try to get a starting job elsewhere? His contract says he'll be in Philly for another year. Stay in Philly. Last time I checked there, he's still the starter. Where it is, the salary cap, like Clarks, will exceed $178 million in 2018. Is salary cap hell a thing of the past? Not if TV ratings and TV revenues continue to slide. Yes, it is. There's a way around the salary cap. There is no way around hell. Did my favorite cornerback, Marcus Peters, need a change of scenery or a change of psychiatrist? His woes are nothing a change in conferences can't fix. He needs to change the scenery. The Chiefs, they need the psychiatrist. Our friend Gino Smith said on Twitter he's been studying this whole flat earth versus globe thing. Does that explain his NFL career arc? Unlike the earth, his career is flat. <laughs> That's right. It explains why his NFL career is on a flat line. <laughs> Where does Case Keenum end up in 2018? In one of the 31 other NFL cities. <laughs> New England. Case closed. The, the Windless Browns announced they will not, repeat, will not raise ticket prices in 2018. Is that a joke? And that just does not come with a cost. Wait a minute, Ron. The Browns have been charging for tickets? That's the end of that. That's the end of our first hour, but don't go anywhere. We're going to hear about the best Buffalo Bill not in Ken and why Johnny Robinson belongs in Ken. That's coming up in hour number two, right here on the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Welcome back to hour number two of the Talk of Fame Network. I'm Clark, Ron, and later in this hour, we'll be hearing from Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News as our Best of the Rest series continues. And... Todd Tobias from TalesOfTheAFL.com with Todd starting a petition to get former Chief Star Johnny Robinson on the ballot as the next senior candidate. Good luck with that, Todd. But you know what? Todd is God. That's what I always say. Uh, but before we get to them, I'd like to get to kicker Adam Vinatieri. He just re-upped with the Indianapolis Colts for another year, ostensibly, I would think, to, to break all of Morton Anderson's records. Anyway, he's back and barring injury, should set a zillion kicking records this season. So, Goose... What does it all mean? I mean, is this simply a victory lap for a guy going to the Hall of Fame, or is it his way of making sure there's no doubt when his name comes up for Canton? Yeah, I think it's all about the record, which in his mind would be his assurance of a bust in Canton. He knows kickers are dicey candidates at best, but if he's the NFL's all-time leading scorer and has the big kicks that are missing from Morton Anderson's resume, Vinatieri has done everything in his power to claim that gold jacket. So, Ron, I know you know uh, Adam Vinatieri, and maybe it could be just another way of just saying, listen, I like playing football, I like the money, and I don't want to give up either. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's as simple as that. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, he does love playing football. He's actually more football player than kicker, really. Uh, but, look, he's also, uh, as a kicker, he knows uh, that it's always in doubt that your name's going to get into camp. doesn't matter how many points you scored, as Morton Anderson found out. doesn't matter how many big kicks you made, as a ton of guys have found out. You know, Adam's got the major championships and all those sort of things. But 
do we really think he's a lock? I don't think, I think not. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, well, since you mentioned that, let's just go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame all over again. Let's redraft for the Pro Football Hall of Fame all over again, guys. You have one vote, you have one kicker. So who do you take? Stenerud, Anderson, or Vinatieri? Anderson. He was the best kickoff guy of the three, and if he spent the bulk of his career with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning instead of Chris Miller and Bobby Hebert, he'd have the big kicks in his resume, too. Ron? Well, since you've excluded the Raiders' arrow man, <laughs> I got to go with... <laughs> I don't see him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> he can't even drive by the Hall of Fame. Uh, I go with Vinatieri. He made more big kicks in more precious situations. Kicked outside for nearly half his career. He's more accurate than these other guys. Lasted longer, and he's going to have every record there is. And he Surprise was money news. when the money was on the line, just like you, Sur- Clark. Surprised you didn't say George Blanda, please. Love George Blanda. Anyway, Hall speaking of, of kicking, speaking of kicking, guys, we're going to kick this thing into gear with Borges or Bogus. It's coming up right after we break the commercial. This is the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. There's a nice story recently on Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker Ryan Shazier, who's recovering from spinal surgery and was cleared for outpatient care at the beginning of February. Now, I, I think he still uses a wheelchair, but apparently, from what I've read, he's making pretty good progress in his recovery. In fact, so much so that he recently said... He wants to return to football and wants to be a Hall of Famer because, as he put it, quote, I really feel I'm the best linebacker out there, unquote. Well, maybe, but Goose, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If I'm Ryan Shazier, I'm not sure I'm going anywhere near a football field again. Well, Clark, you just talked about it in the last segment in our discussion about Adam Vinatieri. Like Vinatieri, Shazier is a football player. He likes playing. He likes lifestyle. I'm sure he likes to pay. Right now, he still views himself as a football player, and he will until doctors advise him differently. But if my career put me in a wheelchair, I'd reassess how I'd want to spend the rest of my life. Yeah, me too. I mean, Adam Vinatieri's not in a wheelchair. He hasn't come anywhere close. This guy, I I think he's, you know, when he stood up, I think it was at a Penguins game, got a standing ovation. I mean, just he stood up. I think that's that's great. But um, listen, Ron, I mean, I I don't know that he ever plays again. I, I just hope he walks again. And, and resumes a normal or semi-normal life, but a normal life. But but let's say his career is over. What's his legacy? Well, I think it's a, a great talent lost to a violent game uh, whose overall value to society, the game, uh, is really being questioned uh, by a lot of moms and dads, uh, and mm-hmm. rightfully so. I think, you know, it was a reminder that this game is no joke. Uh, you know, this is not baseball, no disrespect. This is not basketball, uh, you know. This is, in my mind, second only to boxing in terms of the damage that the participants do to themselves. Uh, And for young football players, I think the other legacy is uh, head up means head up. I mean, he uh, sustained the injury he did because, you know, he he dropped his head. Uh, It happens. But you better be careful. Yep, that's right. Um, Goose, I I don't like asking this, but I will. Um, Was he good enough that if his career lasted, say, I don't know, three or four more years, that he might be considered for the Hall of Fame based on what you saw, especially after what we saw would happen to you know Terrell Davis with longevity in Canton and all that thing. But but based on what you saw from Ryan Shazier, let's just say he plays three or four more years and this happens. 
look, Mike Utley and Reggie Brown both were talented players whose careers ended prematurely because of neck and spine injuries. No one talked about them as potential Hall of Famers. You know, Shazier's only played three-plus years. I, I really can't project him out six or seven and say what might have been. That's mm-hmm. all speculative. I can't, I'm not going to judge a guy in three years. Yeah, yeah. I think he played four, and this, I think this was his fifth, wasn't it? But anyway, um, pretty good. Anyway, good luck to you, Ryan Shazier, in whatever you do. Uh, and here's hoping what you get that you get what you want out of life. Um, speaking of that, uh, Charles Tillman, former cornerback for the Chicago Bears. He was a pretty good one, too. You know what he's doing these days? He's apparently working out again. And, and now with the Bears and Carolina Panthers, but with the FBI. The FBI. <laughs> apparently completed the two-year training, I'm sure, in Quantico, Virginia. I used to live there. My dad was in the service. They had the FBI Academy there. I, I think he's going to begin a two-year probationary period, which is standard for all agents. Now, I, I don't know if you remember Charles Tillman, Peanut Tillman, but... Goose, he was one of the toughest cornerbacks out there who wasn't afraid to tackle. I mean, a cornerback who wasn't afraid to tackle and had 44 forced fumbles, which should qualify him for some kind of Hall of Fame award. Hey, yeah, those 44 fumbles came courtesy of his nickname, the Peanut Punch. You know, it's a move that's been copied <laughs> by so many defensive backs in the last decade. But if Ken Riley can't get in the hall with 65 career interceptions, yeah, right. Harrison Walls can't get in with 37, 57, I'm not sure how you can make a case for Tillman with his 38. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, as you pointed out, Clark, his dad was in the uh, was an army sergeant, and, and he, uh, uh, I think, he went to eleven different schools. You know, when he was a kid, because his dad was moving all over the country, and, and then, you know, while he was in the NFL, he trained in, uh, at times in the off season with various law enforcement guys. So he was always kind of interested in that. Right. And uh, uh, you know, from the times I've talked to him and watched him play, uh, I can tell you one thing. If he's in it, becomes a full-fledged FBI agent and he's chasing you down the street, just throw your hands up. Just throw <laughs> yeah, your hands up. Right. You're going down, bro. <laughs> yeah, right. You're going down. <laughs> You're going down. Well, good luck to Charles Stillman, too. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny because we're passing out these good wishes and best wishes. I want to give uh, some good luck to another guy running back, Frank Gore, who at the age of 34 <laughs> probably becomes a free agent, which isn't all that unusual. But Goose could become a free agent that people want. At 35 in May, turns 35 in May. And you know what? That is unusual, especially for a running back who turns 35 in May. Put Frank Gore on the short list of future Patriots. Older players who <laughs> went to New England looking for a ring like Junior Seau, Randy Moss, and Rodney yeah. Harrison. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I know I've said this on here before, but he strikes me as one of the most intriguing Hall of Fame prospects. I said prospect, Goose, not future Hall of Famers, just because he's piled up such impressive career numbers. I mean, he's fifth all-time yards rushing, 13 consecutive seasons with at least 500 yards rushing. Only two other guys have done that, Emma Smith and Walter Payton, both in the Hall of Fame. But he wasn't an all-decade choice. He never led the league in rushing. And, Ron, he was never first-team All-Pro. So how do you guys look at his Hall of Fame resume? Well, you know, for me, and I'll preface this by saying, look, I, you know, I don't think any of us have have done the re- kind of research that we would normally do, you know, when his name's on the list. Uh, so uh, I'm speaking without having fully vetted the guy or talked to uh, a lot of people uh, that coached against him. Uh, but I look at him uh, on the surface, at least, as someone like Kyle Yastrzemski or, uh, or Don Sutton in baseball. Those guys were Hall of Fame very good players. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. Hall of very good players. And they had Hall of Fame moments and a couple of Hall of Fame type of seasons. And they were certainly Hall of Fame aggregators, but they were not Hall of Famers, even though they're in the Hall of Fame. And I yeah, feel kind of the same. Down. Yeah, and I feel the same way about Frank Gore. Look, it's hard to argue with a guy who's fifth all time in rushing. Right. But that's that right. to me is where the numbers 
uh, trip here. The last four seasons, for example, he's rushed for over 1,000 yards twice and over 900 uh, the other two times. Well, what did it really mean? It meant he averaged less than, 60, less than 70 yards a game. That's not a Hall of Famer. Well, that's the signal that it's time to hear from our Ron Borges with his weekly Borges or Bogus rant. And this week, Ron, I think you're going to Goose's hometown, so tell us about it. Well, you know, the NFL is uh, allegedly about to assess uh, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones in excess of $2 million in court costs and legal fees related to the suspension of running back Ezekiel Elliott. And Jones has threatened but never consummated a lawsuit to block uh, Roger Goodell's contract extension. What court do those guys go to? The court of St. James? <laughs> if it costs the NFL over $2 bucks in court costs and legal fees to fight a lawsuit that was never filed and a suspension that was never legally challenged by Jones, they better look at getting a new outside legal firm because those dudes they're paying right now are bogus. I mean, really. How do you owe over $2 million in legal expenses for a suit that never happened? And a suspension fight, it doesn't appear the Cowboys were ever really materially involved in. Look, Elliot had every right to fight his six-game suspension in arbitration hearings and through the uh, bogus appeal pro- uh, process the NFL has where you appeal to the guy who's, who said you're going to get life in prison. Lo and behold, he doesn't change his mind. Uh, and he had every right to sue. Uh, and unless the NFL has proved positive that the Cowboys funded that, how is Jones on the hook for it? As for Jones's threatened lawsuit over a contract extension for Goodell that was ultimately approved by a vote of 32 to nothing, meaning Jerry Jones voted for it, for it how much can a threat but not a suit cost. Saying that cost them two million bucks is like saying a designer suit without a shirt, I mean without pants or a jacket, still cost you five grand. No, it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, I mean, the NFL owners have the right to claw back legal costs under this resolution FC6 that passed in 1997. Who do you think they were thinking about then? My pal Al Davis, but he's gone. <laughs> Get look, fired up, Ron. Exactly. I mean, really, look, look. perhaps Jones and the Cowboys had something to do with Ezekiel Elliott's decisions to take legal action, uh, but it's a pretty much of a stretch that not even Johnny Cochran would make to say that he owes the league $2 bucks or the owners recovered. I mean, look, this seems to me like a spat between guys with too much time and money at their disposal. It also looks like a bogus attempt to put Jerry Jones in his place. Well, good luck with that. It's going to take you more than a $2 million bill to ever do that. Do you think those owners appreciate that $15, $60 million Jones put in their pockets for those new stadiums and marketing that uh, they all copied? They've forgotten all about that, man. They, you, know, you know what this is all about. Arthur Blank got insulted, yep. and he got five or six of his cohorts to say, we're going to stick it to Jerry Jones. Well, you know what? Now they are going to have legal costs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And you guys laughed at me when I said Deflategate was bogus. Shame on you. Up next, Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci. He's not bogus with the best of the rest of the Buffalo Bills. That's coming up right after this. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. As you should know, hopefully you know right now, we're in the midst of a 32-week best of the rest series where we visit with Hall of Fame voters associated with all 32 teams and get their takes on the most glaring Hall of Fame omissions from their teams. That is the best players, coaches, GMs, owners, you name it, who are not in Canton. And today, well, today we're visiting with Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci, who covers the Buffalo Bills and who joins us from the Combine in Canton. Vic, thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be with you guys, uh, but I'm missing you. It doesn't seem like a Combine unless I'm, I'm with 
you guys. So I'll I'll do the best I can. But uh, you know, you you there. I mean, there's only a, maybe a thousand or so people here. I think there should be at least a thousand and three. So. Well, you know, I think I said the combine in Canton. It's the combine in Indianapolis, but it feels like the combine in Canton because we're all four <laughs> Hall of Fame voters. That's right. That's right. Hey, Vic, the, the Bills were a championship team in the AFL and also went to those four Super Bowls in the 1990s. There are 11 Bills now in Shrine and Canton, and three of them didn't play a down of football. Owner Ralph Wilson, GM Bill Polian, and Coach Marv Levy. That leaves only eight players in Shrine from the nearly seven decades of the franchise's existence. So who, in your eyes, is Buffalo's most glaring omission from Canton? Yeah, I want to preface this by saying the right people have been recognized in terms of induction to the to the Hall of Fame from those championship teams. And I I, I believe that there there might be an omission or two from from those, but the person that I'm gonna start with isn't wasn't a member of those Super Bowl teams. His name is Fred Smurless and I believe he's fallen through the cracks. Uh, he was a, an outstanding nose tackle who uh, spent a, a long time in the NFL, uh, played for the Buffalo Bills for 10 seasons, and was really an, a, an excellent part of a team that didn't, didn't do particularly well overall. I mean, had, had, had a playoff year or two, I think two in, in his time, uh, and had a strong defense in his time. But he defined, and, and I'd say redefined, the position of nose tackle after Curly Culp. He was the, 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 I think, the standard setter for how nose tackles were, uh, were, were picked, were selected, were scouted, and, and coached in the NFL. Uh, five-time pro bowler. And he would be the, the person that I think should be most deserving or, or next on the list. And, and, you know, we can get into some of the other names that some would say from, from the Super Bowl teams that, aren't in the hall, but I, I would I would go to Sparlis next. Well, since you mentioned uh, uh, Freddie, uh, Vic, the Hall of Fame committee finally uh, elected a nose tackle a few years ago when we put per- Curly Culp in as a senior candidate. Do you think uh, the Curly's enshrinement helps Fred's case or hurts Fred's case or is kind of neutral? I would, I would think that it could help. I, I would think that there at least is the understanding of what a nose tackle is all about. It, it does sound like a, a, you know, the subcategory of the defensive tackle position, but I, I don't think it's that. I think it has its own place, and Culp's presence in the hall should bring that level of recognition to it, but they're different players. And, and where I think it could also help is that you understand what Culp is all about, but Freddie, uh, for his part, was a different type of player. He was the the, the, the the super strong man out of Boston College. What Chuck Knox envisioned as, and Tom Catlin, who was a defensive coordinator, saw uh, this tremendously powerful player on a very bad Boston College team. They were on 11 in senior year and, uh, and made him a second-round pick anyway uh, and also saw the quickness, the, the incredible quickness off the ball uh, and someone who, who not only had the physical reactionary quickness, but his eyes, just what he could see and how, how, well, his insti- his, how well his instincts uh, worked for him and worked for the defense. Um, and, and here's the other thing that, uh, that I will never forget. When I was covering, the first team I covered in the NFL was 
the Philadelphia Eagles, not, not the Bills. But I, I was covering the Eagles. Dick Vermeil was the head coach. Uh, and Marion Campbell was her defensive coordinator. And I, I distinctly recall Dick Vermeil talking uh, about talking with me about how he was sending uh, a defensive assistant to Buffalo's training camp. This was when camps were a lot longer than they are now. This is when there was a lot less off-season activity to see how Fred was being utilized, Smurls was being utilized in that defense, and how he was being coached because the Eagles had a guy named Charlie Johnson as a nose tackle in their scheme, and they wanted to, uh, to, to, to steal as many ideas as they could from the Bills to utilize uh, for their defense. And Chuck Knox and, and Dick Vermeil had a history and a friendship, so... Uh, so that was that was bad, and and that that opened that, that told me a lot. It, it told me uh, about when it, when a guy is special enough to, uh, and we know about the whole copycat mentality. But when when you're 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 specifically studying a player and how that player is coached, I, I think there's I think it takes it to another level. We're speaking with the Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci of the Buffalo News, and Vic's joining us from the Combine in Indianapolis. We're talking to him on the Talk of Fame Network. And you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Vic, I, I must admit, you, you really surprised me with uh, Smurless. I, I thought you were going to give us someone from those Super Bowl teams, those teams that went to four consecutive Super Bowls in the 1990s. Honestly, I thought you were going to give us a Ken Hull or a Steve Tasker. Yeah, and there are two names that are very much on my mind as well. But I, I think the challenges are, I, I think Kent was an excellent center. Um, I, I don't know that I, I see him as Hall of Fame level center. I think he's a really good center and was a center on a really good team and, and was instrumental in how the, the no huddle offense functioned and worked uh, with Jim Kelly. I don't think Jim Kelly would have been as good a quarterback as he was, and he's, of course, a Hall of Famer without Kent. But, uh, and, and then Steve Tasker, another tremendous contributor, and there's always clamor from a lot of Bills fans, and I know his name uh, still finds its way into the list of candidates as a special teams specialist, as the coverage guy primarily. Uh, and, 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 but, but I also think that that, too, uh, is something that is, there, there, frankly, is a very strong prejudice against that among all voters, generally, uh, that they prefer position players go in first and, and have a hard time justifying putting a Steve Tasker ahead of some position players, and Steve's position was wide receiver, which he also played well. Uh, and I think had he had more reps in it, or was in a if he were if he were in the Bill Belichick uh, offense uh, or Patriot offense, whatever Josh McDaniels, I, I think he I think he he'd be another uh, Wes Welker. I think he'd be another Julian Edelman type of player uh, because of the, the the speed and the skill and the, and the quickness, the explosiveness that he had, but. But that didn't happen. He made his mark on special teams. Uh, he was a difference maker, but uh, did he make the kind of difference that a position player makes? I bring up Smurlis because I, I go back to historical level uh, historical level conversation where you know how much has a player influenced and impacted the game as a whole. And and I again I think the nose tackle position underappreciated to a large extent. Uh, but this was a very dominant football player, and he he also succeeded in ways that not uh, every uh, person who has played that position has done. And and I you know we've seen it get we've seen very big you know the Vince Wolfer very big large monstrous Ted Washington uh, behemoths 
just just to show up at 400 odd pounds and and be very hard to be moved around by others. Uh, but but with Fred, it was power and athleticism. He he played in his, in, in the low 300s, you know, maybe uh, thereabouts. Uh, I think maybe 325 at his heaviest, uh, but he was mostly again a, a power quick athlete, uh, and, and he was by the way an outstanding uh, wrestler in high school. It's uh, Massachusetts champion, uh, excuse me, New England uh, champion uh, wrestler. Vic, let's stay on defense. Bruce Smith is the only one from those Super Bowl teams with a bust. You know, back then the Bills played a three-four, and I recall the linebackers were really active: Cornelius Bennett, Daryl Taylor, Shane Conlon. Any of those linebackers worthy of discussion? I would say um, Cornelius Bennett was an extraordinary talent. I just don't think he had enough time uh, or, or a long enough stretch of time, you know, on, on, with the Bills uh, to in, in his career to you know say that this could be uh, an uh, excuse me a Hall of Fame career. His talent spoke to to levels of. Uh, excellence that um, that I believe a Hall of Famer has, uh, I, I, but I, I think when put to scrutiny, I, I don't know that you uh, would, would would see that necessarily uh, to a level that could compare uh, to some of the other uh, linebackers who have played over longer stretches of time in the NFL. Daryl Talley, uh, he he did have I think the the, the more uh, the, the greater longevity. And more body of work to put him in that category, and he was also instrumental to Bruce Smith's success as sort of the coach and pads. He he really guided Bruce well, uh, and, you know, and worked with him as uh, in terms of film study and uh, and just kept him on his game and kept him sharp. Consideration, and 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 I I don't want to see him go away. I think he's an eventual uh, person that could get discussion, perhaps as a senior candidate at some point. Um, and and the same with Cornelius, and and I guess the same with with Ken Hall. Uh, the the challenge that I was given here with uh, coming out with you guys was to a- answer the question of who I think should be next. Um, and 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 I guess in Fred's case, he falls. He's fallen out of the modern class category, right? So. Uh, so his next hope would be, if there is hope for him, would be as a senior. Hey, Vic, thanks so much for the time, and good luck with those combine interviews. <laughs> I'll be thinking about you guys. Take care. And we'll thanks, think Vic. of you. Thanks, Vic. <laughs> thanks. Nice to know somebody does. That's Hall of Fame voter Vic Carucci. Up next, the guy who's making a push to get former Chiefs star Johnny Robinson into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. There's an interesting movement going on, and it's going on way out there in my former hometown. That'd be San Diego. That's a drive to get former Kansas City safety Johnny Robinson into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And, And that drive, begun with a petition, is the work of our next guest, Friend of the show and AFL historian Todd Tobias, who operates the website Tales from the American Football League.com, which, if you haven't read it, you should. It's dedicated to preserving the legacy of the AFL. Todd, 
I always say Todd is God. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a little extreme, but uh, I'll, I'll accept it. Thank you for Well, uh, I'm talking about Todd Rundgren, but I could be talking about you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whatever, whatever. I'll take it wherever I can get it. <laughs> hey, Todd, give us your background. How did you become so passionate about the AFL? Um, so I grew up in San Diego, and in uh, there was kind of this, this funny confluence of, of things that had me all at the same time uh, working in a sports museum, um, going to graduate school to earn a master's degree in history, and interning for the Chargers cleaning out their uh, team photo archive, and, uh, and as well looking for a subject to write my master's thesis on. And um, those things all kind of came together, and I ended up writing about Sid Gilman and his time with the Chargers. And not only the X's and O's, but a lot of the off-the-field kind of stuff and a lot of the, um, I guess, the the supplementary coaching that he did, you know, the weightlifting that he kind of brought into the game and, and film study and things like that. And <clears throat> I, I just really became fascinated with the whole story of the AFL, the whole David versus Goliath, and, and you know, you've got the, the issues with... Um, you know, the, the team's barnstorming in the South and, and, um, you know, then the, the team's also kind of mining the, the historically black colleges and universities for ball players when the NFL wasn't doing that. There's just so many interesting tangents about the league in and of itself that I, once I finished my master's degree, I just kind of started digging around all over the place and really enjoyed what I was learning. And, uh, it's, you know, stuck with me some 20 years now. Well, your website obviously isn't passive. It's uh, it's active, and right now you're conducting a, a campaign to get the former AFL All-Star into the Hall of Fame. And I wonder if you could just mm-hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about your efforts for Johnny Robinson. Sure. Well, um, you know, Johnny is, is considered, I think, uh, in most accounts, the AFL representative that has been the most overlooked. You know, for the long time, we had Jerry Kramer, uh, as kind of the overall guy, uh, you know, the Packers guard, but he's, he was selected this, this last year. And now that kind of leaves Johnny Robinson. And, um, Johnny was a phenomenal ball player. Uh, everybody that you talk to say he was an absolutely incredible safety with the Chiefs. Uh, the other thing that you hear quite often when you, when you talk about Johnny is just what an honorable person he was. Um, I got some quotes from different, different ball players uh to put on the petition and, and Don Maynard said that said specifically that Johnny was an honorable ball player and he knew that he was never going to get cheap shotted when he was playing against Johnny and the Chiefs. And um so anyway, this is something that, that uh I kinda came up with because I wanted to see it happen. Uh I'm a I'm a big AFL fan, as you guys all know, and I'd like to see the AFL get a little more recognition than what they've gotten in the past. And I think that um, Johnny would be, you know, a good, a good way to start anyway. Um, you know, and, and it's, you got to love a guy that, that is just genuinely appreciated by everybody. You know, you got to root for a guy like that. We're speaking with AFL historian Todd Tobias of Tales from the American Football League.com on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And, Todd, you grew up in San Diego. 
your clubs mm-hmm. in Lance Allworth. You interned mm-hmm. with the Chargers. You wrote about Sidney mm-hmm. Newman. So why are you pushing a guy from the Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, why Johnny Robinson and not, say, Paul Lowe? <laughs> you know, um, there are a lot of guys from the AFL that are deserving, I think, of, of Hall of Fame induction. Um, and I think that uh, what I'm hoping, uh, you know, my ultimate goal here would be that that Johnny get in and this go around, and then that kind of opened the doors for looking at other guys. You know, Paulo would we be one of them? Certainly, there's a number of guys that are are certainly worthy of um, at least intense study and consideration. Um, but <clears throat> you know, I figured what's the what's the what's the route to get us here the quickest. And, uh, as well, I've, I've always been a big fan of Johnny Robinson myself. Um, if you've, if you've checked out my website, you've probably seen that I'm a, I'm a collector of autographed football cards and, and Johnny has always been a, a, you know, a great friend to the collector, signing cards through the mail and stuff like that. And, um, so, you know, I just kind of put all these things together, uh, you know, wanting to do something nice for somebody who has been great with their fans, uh, wanting to do something for somebody who has been really, really deserving for 40-plus years and has been overlooked. And, uh, you know, also looking at this as an opportunity to maybe help open, open, the, open the doors for other AFL guys as well. Todd, there are 14 players named to the all-time All-AFL team not currently enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Six of them played for the Chiefs. Robinson, Fred Arbanis, Jim Tyre, Ed Buddy, Jerry Mays, and Gerald Wilson. So has this been an AFL snub or a Kansas City snub? Maybe a little bitterness over that Super Bowl four. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that I think that you've got to say it's really an AFL snub. Um if you take a look at things, the Chiefs are, are already pretty well represented in the Hall of Fame. You know, the Chiefs of the 60s, you've got Bobby Bell and Hank Stram and Buck Buchanan, and Jer- um, you've got Stenerud, you've got uh, Emmett Thomas, you've got Lenny Dawson, um, you know, you've got Willie Lanier. Really, there's a, there are a great number of ballplayers there, so I, I can't say that this is something that anybody has is, is got an axe to grind against the Chiefs. Um, you know, I have heard that people think that maybe there are too many Chiefs in, and that is already, and that's working against Johnny. Um, I don't really care for that argument myself, because if you're going to have teams that win repeatedly like the Chiefs of the 60s, that means that you're going to have a lot of great ballplayers on those teams. Um, and each should should receive the recognition that they deserve. Um so no, I don't. I don't think it's a it's a chief snubbing uh, per se. And I, you know, I I think that Lamar Hunt is is widely respected, uh, and he was obviously the owner of the Chiefs and the the founder of the AFL. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I do think that it's a you know overlooking the AFL in general. Um, there are, you know, there's this, what people consider an AFL bias. Um, some folks don't think that the AFL was uh, the caliber of football that the NFL was. Uh, obviously, when the AFL first came into existence, there were a number of reporters and, and uh, other people in the media that didn't take it seriously. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe some of that is, is 
still hanging over now, you know, nearly 60 years later. Well, and that, and right, and speaking in that regard, the AFL, uh, of course, was a passing league in the 60s, and the NFL was a running league. Yet the NFL has twice as many wide receivers from that decade uh, enshrined in Canton as the AFL does. Uh, the AFL mm-hmm. only has three, Lance Allworth, Don Maynard, and, and Fred Blitnikoff. And I'm just wondering uh, who you might think of if I asked you for two or three AFL receivers uh, who have been overlooked. Can I give you four? Sure, give me 40. <laughs> I love the AFL. Give us 40 if you want. <laughs> you know, I, I'm a big fan of Otis Taylor, Lionel Taylor, Charlie Hennigan, and Art Powell. Uh, I think that in their own ways, those guys were were phenomenal ball players, great receivers. They all put up great numbers. Uh, they all have their own little bits of, of notoriety and things that made them special. Um, you know, maybe maybe they didn't have the, the overall glamour of a, a Lance Allworth or, uh, you know, they didn't all win championships like a, a Belitnikoff or a Maynard. But all of those guys made fantastic contributions on the field. They were just absolutely great talents. And, you know, to this point, like you said, they're they're not in. And I I don't know, you know, I'm not part of the discussions, but uh, I don't know that they've even really been discussed all that much. Hey, Todd, I'm, I'm wondering this. Um, you know, you've got two guys here, Ron and Rick, who are on the senior committee, and, and maybe they can get Johnny Robinson in at some point. I don't think there's mm-hmm. been a great buzz about him, but you're doing this certainly wouldn't hurt it. But if and when he gets in, if and when he gets into Canton, who would be the next most deserving AFL player in your mind not enshrined there? Uh, would it be someone like Abner Haynes? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard it to narrow it down to just one guy. Um, you know, what I, would, what I would do is I can nearly name you an, a full offensive line that deserves to go in. Uh, Walt Sweeney, Jim Tyre, Ed Buddy, Winston Hill, and Wayne Hawkins. Mm, Winston, you know, if you take yeah. a look at, at those guys, you're missing a center in there and you've got an extra guard. But um, those are all guys that played long, long careers. Most of them played both in the NFL and, or excuse me, in the AFL and after the merger in the NFL and exceeded, uh, succeeded in, in both eras. Uh, they made all pro teams and all star games and pro bowl games, uh, in both the AFL and the NFL multiple times. Uh, you know, you could say that, that Sweeney and, and Tyra have some off field, off field baggage that comes along with those guys. And, you know, you can't argue that, but, um, those are, those are guys that deserve, deserve recognition. I mean, they're, they were phenomenal, phenomenal players. Todd, has the had the AFL ever seen a better back than Cookie Gilchrist? And where does he fit in this? Oh boy, you know Cookie. Um, in terms of of Hall of Fame induction, Cookie is such a tough one. He he was a phenomenal ball player, but unfortunately, he came into the AFL kind of, we'll say, midway towards the end of his career. Um, you know, if, if if the AFL would have gotten Cookie a young Cookie, like the you know he went to the CFL first, uh, I think that that you know people would be talking about him like they do Jim Brown. He was that talented of a ball player, and uh, you know in the in the short amount of time that I mean people talk about about Cookie, um, <laughs> you know people talk about him and all the 
kind of the extracurricular stuff that goes along with Cookie because he was kind of an eccentric person, but uh, he was he was dominant and he could he could play running back, he could play linebacker, he could kick, he could he could do just about anything. Hey Todd, thanks so much for joining us and good luck with that petition. I really hope it it makes a difference. I signed it. I, I'm very happy to. But good luck. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I I hope it does too. It's you know like I said, Johnny is a phenomenal person. It's something. It's an honor that's long overdue him, and uh, you know I just hope that fans will get on there, sign the petition, maybe share it with their friends or on Facebook or wherever, and and see how many see how many signatures we can get in support of Johnny Robinson. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. That was AFL historian Todd Tobias of Tales from the American Football League.com. And go there. If you want to sign that petition for Johnny Robinson, do it. I suggest you do it. Up next, it's Two Minute Drill. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Clark Judge, Rick Goslin, and Ron Borges. Well, we're almost at the finish line. So, Robert, have that ref do his job, would you please? That's the Two Minute Drill. That means we're going to the two-minute drill. All right, so, Ronnie, get us started. Here we go. Speaking of the Cleveland Browns, can they go perfectly imperfect two straight years? They can with this coach. <laughs> Not even the 77 Buccaneers with less talent than these Browns could pull that off. Should the Bills pick up Tyrod Taylor's $6 million roster bonus on March 16th or let him walk? Let him walk. Then bring in Tim Tebow. Pick it up. $6 million is a drop in the bucket of $178 million salary cap. Is 2018 the Legion of Boom's last chance to make some noise? They just had their last chance, Ron. Not a pro bowler safety. Earl Thomas is playing elsewhere. The Steelers are willing to trade Mercurial Martavius Bryant. Should someone go after him? You like that? Yeah, anyone on, the, anyone on the planet Mercury. Be a perfect fit. Every NFL speed dial contains a phone number of the Cowboys and the Raiders. The Raiders have six. Count them six. Six-round draft picks. What are they stockpiling? Special teamers? No, they're stockpiling for the next game of blackjack in Vegas. That's six chances to find the next Tom Brady. Ooh. Clark didn't think of that. Did the Jaguars do the right thing, giving Blake Bortles a three-year, $54 million extension? Yes, they did. They're looking for a more expensive way to lose confidence in him. If your option is Chad Henney, the answer is yes. Will Notre Dame guard Quentin Melson really end up as the second player drafted in April? No. Guards are like sunscreen. We need them, but we don't value them. Why not? Guards go second all the time in the NBA draft. Will Rob Gronkowski retire to WWE or Hollywood if he doesn't get a big contract extension? Neither, Ron. Tom Brady needs him like Dilly needs Dilly. Gronk has the talent to do one specific thing in life, and it's not wrestle or act. (laughs) Okay, what is uh, Clark's pal Russell Wilson doing taking ground balls with the Yankees at spring training? He's throwing them to first, Ron. The same thing he did for years in spring training with the Rangers. Keep the baseball option open. That's the end of the game. We'd like to thank Dallas Clark, Vic Carucci, and Todd Tobias for joining us, Robert Harris Jr. for producing us, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any podcast, just go to our website. That'd be talkoffamenetwork.com. Or look for us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, you can find us next week on this station and at this time. We'll be here. We hope you will, too.